Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned into channel Islam International and alhamdulillah. This is your program Tazkiyah that comes out live from the studios here, CII studios here in Johannesburg every Laylatul Jumu'ah. And we have as our honorable guest Sheikh Kamaluddin uh, of pa Sheikh Kamaluddin Ahmed all the way from Pakistan. Uh, we're giving you our SMS line if you have any questions for Sheikh Kamaluddin. Don't hesitate to contact us on 0027-8466-8199. And the email address for any input for the program is ii at ciinetwork.net. And for audio streaming, click on to www.ciibroadcasting.net. Yes, our listeners, we have in South Africa a very cold night, uh, and somebody was just telling me a little earlier that probably you could expect some snow, or that will be wonderful. And uh, alhamdulillah, we have our Sheikh online. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa With the fuzzle of Allah, I'm very well, Sheikh, and how are you? Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, alhamdulillah, there was a wonderful program that you had given us last week where you spoke about Inna Allah ma'as-sabirin and wasta'inu bis-sabri wa-salah. We have a question here for you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, honorable Sheikh. Can you please explain wasta'inu bis-sabri wa-salah? Must you go into a state of salah immediately some difficulty or something comes upon you? Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we should seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help by patiently enduring that adversity and with fortitude persisting and persevering in all of the good that we are doing in all of our dini activities. And also, this salah, it could be understood to be even more regular and consistent in the farad and wajib salah. It can mean to increase our quality and concentration in our farad and wajib and emphasize sunnah salah. And it also means to do nafil salah, to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now some commentators have taken salah here just to mean dua, supplication. Others have also understood that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said, فَاسْتَعِينُ بِالسَّبْرِ dua." right? Mm -hmm. And we should always remember that. And even when some of us, we may be studying tafsir or we may hear uh, a scholar give tafsir, mm -hmm. you should always remember that the meaning that the scholars have uh, arrived at from the verse doesn't remove the literal meaning necessarily. And so it means du'a, but it also means salah. Mm -hmm. And therefore a person should try to pray some nafil salah. Mm -hmm. And one sunnah that Nabi Akhanim sallallahu mentioned, hadith salat al haja that whenever a person has a particular need that they want to present to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they should pray two rakat salat al-hajjah and make a particular dua that is mentioned in the hadith. So, you know, a person may not be able to make this immediately, you know, but as the earliest, uh, I would say, at the earliest possible moment, a person should try to pray some nafa salat. But until then, they can always make dua in their heart, even if it's a very sudden calamity. They can turn to Allah subhanahu wa in dua uh, from their heart or from their tongue. Jazakallah khairul jazah Sheikh. Sheikh, here we have another question. Assalamu alaikum, muhtaram Sheikh. If sabr is so virtuous as you had explained it, must we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for conditions that would warrant sabr? We should ask uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
I mean, I don't know what they mean by condition, mm. but uh, what you really can't do is you, we can't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever to go against his word in Quran. Mm-hmm. So we can't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, I want you to give me a life that is completely free of any and all minor and major types of iftila and tihana, any and all types of minor tests and difficulties or major trials and tribulations. We can't ask that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran, that he is going to send tests on us. Mm-hmm. What we could ask for is the conditions inside of ourselves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make me strong, make me persevere, make me have endurance, make me have fortitude. Mm-hmm. And then when we are inside a condition, when we are inside a condition of test and trial, then we can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove it. Mm-hmm. We can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove it from us. We can present our weakness. Mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm too weak uh, and I won't be able to uh, bear this burden, you know, that's something we could do. And, uh, Sheikh, you have another question. as Must we subject ourselves to voluntary hunger uh, in order to try and get the ma'iyat and the closeness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thereby making sabr? Well, you know, and the way we phrase things, you know, uh, are we subjecting ourselves to voluntary hunger? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to observe some sunnah or nafal fasts, right? Mm-hmm. These are two rather different ways of phrasing things. Mm-hmm. So I would think that a person should try to fast, mm-hmm. uh, should in the sense that it's very recommended and beneficial mm-hmm. and uh, completely not just acceptable, but again recommended, mm-hmm. is if a person fasts a sunnah amount, mm-hmm. which would be the Mondays and Thursdays of every week, mm-hmm. the 13th, 14th, 15th of the lunar months, mm-hmm. and given that we are coming up and next month is Shaban, the Sayyidina used to fast much of Shaban. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I wouldn't, you know, put it that way that we're sort of putting ourselves in a state of hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's very important that the Deen of Islam has given us many teachings mm-hmm. and some illnesses require multiple medications. You see, sometimes you go to a doctor mm-hmm. and he will give you one medication. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're more sick, mm-hmm. you go to the doctor and he writes down three medications. Mm-hmm. So he writes down an antibiotic, mm-hmm. he writes down an antihistamine, he writes down a pain reliever, mm-hmm. and he writes down cough syrup. And it's only when you take all four mm-hmm. that you will be cured. Mm-hmm. Just like that, there are some sicknesses mm-hmm. that sunnah or extra fasting mm-hmm. or trying to keep our stomach from being full, right, eating less, I wouldn't say hunger, mm-hmm. but eating less and nafil and sunnah fasting mm-hmm. has mentioned as a cure for a particular illness mm-hmm. that has to be joined with lowering the gaze, mm-hmm. that has to be joined with staying away from emotional relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a whole list of things that Dean has given. Mm-hmm. So we should view that the Dean of the Psalm has given us an entire prescription. Mm-hmm. If we just take one of the medicines on the list, mm-hmm. it may not be enough to give us the cure. Now, Sheikh, uh, something comes to mind here. That sometimes you find it's, uh, you know, in some silsilas when the Muridin are with the Mashaikh, then the Mashaikh subject them to some difficulties, uh, probably going against their nerves or something like that. Uh, under situations like that, this type of voluntary, you know, of, of, of difficulty that is inflicted on a Salik so that, you know, he, he, he can probably control his nerves. Can you just give us a little bit of an insight into this here? 
I know these difficulties are actually what we call mukhalifat al nafs. Mukhalifat al nafs to go against the wishes of the nafs. And sometimes it's even so simple that the nafs wants to have delicious food. So in early times, and you know, not such, or even more recent times, sometimes the sheikh would stipulate that the students should only eat simple vegetables or lentils or plain fare, mm-hmm. whereas everybody else may be eating more delicious food. Mm-hmm. And this is just, you know, number one, so that a person doesn't take any of their blessings for granted. Mm-hmm. Number two, so that they're checked, that did they view themselves to be anything? Mm-hmm. Did they view that they had any type of stature or rank or persona? Did they view that they were entitled to a particular place? Mm-hmm. Uh, or particular respect and so this is an exercise training exercise that is done to erase the negative aspects of the nafs especially vanity and conceit and uh, self-praise Jazakallah Jazakallah if you just joined us now you're listening to this channel Islam International the program is Tazkia and it's live uh, uh, we have uh, across the, uh, the other side of the continent, we have Sheikh Kamaluddin Ahmed Sab with us. Uh, Sheikh, we have another question here. Salam, dear Honorable Sheikh. How much should a Salik inform his Sheikh of his sins? Please explain in detail. Jazakallah khaira. Okay. Uh, I think we, we know we may have done this on, on the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Basically, a salik should inform their sheikh as much of their sins, as much as the patient needs to inform the doctor of their illnesses. Mm-hmm. So if the patient walks into the doctor's office and just sits there and doesn't say anything mm-hmm. and counts on the doctor's stethoscope or x-ray machine to be able to diagnose the illnesses but doesn't say anything with their tongue, mm-hmm. it's less likely that they will be able to be cured fully. And even you will see today doctors with all their sophisticated diagnostic equipment, they will still always take a patient's history. They will still always verbally mm-hmm. question the patient and try to get an idea of what the patient is feeling. Mm-hmm. So the salik is telling their sheikh, number one, with the niya of getting cured. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's not necessary to tell all the specific details it's enough to present the general nature of the illness in order to get a cure. Third, uh, you know, obviously sometimes there are some things that a person is embarrassed to relate or embarrassed to share. So those things can be communicated in a written form, either letter or email or as it is. Uh, it's not necessary that it has to be sent verbally. And this is not against, you know, Nabi Karim Sassam taught us that we should not reveal our sins to other people. Mm-hmm. But that meant, it didn't mean reveal them with the sake of getting them cured. Mm-hmm. It meant we shouldn't uncover the veil that Allah SWT has put upon us. Mm-hmm. But Allah SWT wishes, and his, his sifat of being a sattar, that out of his kindness and mercy he has wished mm-hmm. that our sins should be veiled from ordinary and everyday people. But Allah SWT does not wish that our sins should be veiled from the person who is going to treat and cure those sins. Mm. Just like many of our physical illnesses, Allah SWT also covered them. Nobody knows who has cancer. Mm. I mean, most times, unless they are very outward apparent symptoms, mm. there are many, many illnesses that Allah SWT has chosen to keep veiled, but it doesn't mean that we should keep that veil from the doctor. Jazakallah wa sallam, Jazakallah. Sheikh, 
you know, in the Quran Sharif ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajeem, bismillahi rahmani rahim وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنْفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ Now in this ayah, in another ayat of the Quran in Majid, وَالصَّابِرِينَ فِي الْبَأْسَاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ Sabr is spoken about in terms of difficulty that comes onto individuals in various forms. Is there any other sabr besides uh, the sabr that a person has to endure or, or, or the, uh, that the person has to make when he has or is confronted with any of these difficulties? And why must he read Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Rajiun? Uh, okay, I got the second part. And why must you read it? What was the first part of the question? The first part is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wala nablu wana kum bishayim min al khawfi wal juu." Right. Allah right. test us through all these things. But, but, yeah. but is there what any other? Question? Is there any other? Is there any other sabers that a person has to make besides just sabar on difficulty? Oh, right. Well, we explained that we explained that in, in quite detail last week. That mm-hmm. sabr doesn't just mean mm-hmm. to patiently endure hardship and adversity and trial and test and difficulty. Sabr also means number one. So, I mean, so this type of sabr is talking about when you have an external mm-hmm. test and external tribulation. Sabr can also mean patiently enduring the temptations and with, with temptations of the nafs and whisperings of shaitan mm-hmm. and not falling into them, not listening to them, not giving into them. Mm-hmm. Sabr also means, third meaning, sabr also means to have perseverance and to persist and be consistent and steadfast on sharia, deen, sunnah, mm-hmm. on a'mal saleh, on nawafim, etc. Mm-hmm. So there are many, many different sort of uh, ways in which the word sabr has been used. Okay, as far as, oh, why do we have to say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun? Well, actually, Allah is teaching us to say this for our own benefit. It's a very important teaching here mm-hmm. that Allah SWT is saying that, look, you know, whatever difficulty you are facing or is facing you, you are not going to be in this state permanently. Your permanent state is going to be with Allah SWT in the Akhirah. Mm-hmm. So this is just a fleeting, passing, temporary stage, and you should remember that. And secondly, that whenever a person is tested by Allah or is sent some difficulty, Allah wants that that person should remember him and that person should turn to him at that moment. So this phrase, is to trigger a person's zikr, to trigger a person's tawakkul, to trigger a person's dua and seeking the help of Allah Subhanahu Sheikh, uh, alhamdulillah, you know, it was very informative giving us those answers. Uh, 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 we really appreciate it. Uh, what's Sheikh going to be telling our listeners tonight? Uh, is Sheikh still going to continue on the subject of sabr or has Sheikh got another topic for us for tonight? No, I'm telling we're going to talk about something different tonight. Allahumma 
There is something that a lot of us fall into and many times we do this sin or we do this act that very much leads us to sin without realizing it. Sometimes we do it subconsciously, sometimes we take it for granted, sometimes we do it deliberately. And this is one of those sins or one of those actions that leads to sin that we very rarely feel any remorse over. And we have spoken before on this program that the way Allah Sponsor taught us to leave our sins is that first we will feel remorse over them and second we will make istighfar seek Allah Sponsor's forgiveness for them and the third we will make doba, we will renounce them and disconnect ourselves from anything and everything that leads us to that sin. So that means that if there is some sin that we are doing that we don't even feel any remorse for it, then pretty much impossible that we are ever going to make a stick fog, which means we may not get ever forgiven for that sin, and we're not going to make toba, we're not going to stop doing that sin. And that whole, I'm referring to a whole class of things which just generally I call cutting corners. And what we do is we cut corners on Sharia. We cut corners on the deen. And this happens to almost all of us, irrespective of how much knowledge a person may have, how old a person may be, how much zikr a person may have done, how much ilm a person studies. And in fact, it's been my own experience that shaitan actually, you know, he has designed multiple ways of entrapment. And that person who is not a practicing Muslim and has no desire to be a practicing Muslim. Yeah. So for that person, shaitan has a whole world of just outright and open sin. And the same sinful opportunities that non-Muslims engage in, it's the same sinful opportunities that a non-practicing Muslim will engage in. However, for the practicing Muslim, the practicing Muslim isn't going to go and do those outwardly apparent sin. The practicing Muslim isn't going to go into those open societies of sin. So Shaitan had to come up with another way of entrapping that practicing Muslim. And that way of entrapping entrapment is what I call cutting corners. That he would show them a way to, what we say, sort of, you know, compromise mm-hmm. on the Sharia. And this is a word, you know, this is a fancy thing we call euphemism. Mm-hmm. Euphemism means a nice word being used to describe bad thing. And you, even in regular English usage, you know, they say your, more, your values have been compromised. Your integrity was compromised. Mm-hmm. And that's what sometimes we do. We compromise our amal on the sharia. Mm-hmm. And this leads, and this, and that's enough. That's enough. Mm-hmm. That's enough of a disobedience for shaitan to make us go then all the way into sin. Mm-hmm. We can compromise on something small, and shaitan can take away farz ibadah like isha or fajr from us. Mm-hmm. We can compromise on something small, Allah shaitan can make us fall into a haram act of sin. Mm-hmm. So this is why I said that sometimes the compromises themselves are sin mm-hmm. or sometimes the compromises 
in of themselves may not be sin technically, mm-hmm. but they lead us almost certainly to sin. Mm-hmm. But we still compromise, and we don't think that it was wrong. We don't think it was bad. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny how different people in the world, you know, how much we respect rules. Mm-hmm. And I remember I heard someone give this example once of dry cleaning. Mm-hmm. And that if only we could learn to respect Allah's mountain's rules mm-hmm. as much as we, you know, respect the rules of our clothing. And what does that mean? So different pieces of clothing, I mean, mean clothing that people buy, it will say machine wash cold, machine wash warm. And probably most people don't really care about the temperature and maybe they just wash it. But if it says dry clean only, mm-hmm. that person will never, ever, ever mm-hmm. put their clothing into a washing machine. Because they've been given a rule mm-hmm. that this clothing should only be dry cleaned. Mm-hmm. And they will never dream, they will never think mm-hmm. about putting that clothing in water. Mm-hmm. Well, just like that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us certain rules. Mm-hmm. And if we look, and the, the, the point of this example, was, and there are many, many examples like this, that when we are serious about something, when we take something seriously, some matter in our dunya, then we don't compromise at all. We don't bend those rules at all. We are extremely strict about those rules. If somebody tells us that we have to, if the boss says, look, in this job, you have to be at work at 9 Mm a.m., that person will make sure that every single day, for every month, for years, they will be there at 9 Mm a.m. Alhamdulillah, I, you know, did study with some teachers in the madrasa, who even a few of them who were teaching for free, in fact, but they were so particular about the time that their class started that because that was a rule mm-hmm. and that was a rule that they didn't feel that they should ever compromise on. Mm-hmm. So just like we have that attitude, non-compromising attitude towards different rules that we make for ourselves or society makes for us in this dunya, mm-hmm. we need to have the same attitude towards Allah's fault rules mm-hmm. which are the laws of the Sharia. And again, many times, many of us we go into compromise. Mm-hmm. You can find this in almost every single branch of Sharia law. Mm-hmm. Let's start with marriage and divorce. Mm-hmm. Dean of Islam has given us a lot of guidelines mm-hmm. on how to marry and whom to marry. Mm-hmm. But again, sometimes, and maybe this isn't people themselves, but more often than not the parents, mm-hmm. they compromise mm-hmm. on what the Sharia wants. Mm-hmm. So especially... Nabi Akrim Sallallahu taught that we should marry first and foremost on the basis of taqwa, mm-hmm. on the basis of the other person's deed. Mm-hmm. But many times parents are willing to compromise mm-hmm. on the level of the deen and sharia of a person mm-hmm. because they're, you know, seeking some other attribute. Mm-hmm. They're looking at maybe that person's money or their family background or something else. Mm-hmm. But when they make that compromise, what's going to be the result of that? So that's just a momentary thought in their mind that they make this compromise but then that poor girl she can have a whole lifetime of sadness sometimes in extreme cases a whole lifetime of suffering mm-hmm. and in minor cases at the very least a whole lifetime in which she is with somebody who doesn't uh, have the same religious or spiritual aspirations or desires as she does mm-hmm. so that's one compromise and people are thinking of divorce Again, mm-hmm. they compromise in the rules of the Sharia. Mm-hmm. Allah spells out a particular system mm-hmm. in which divorce was the absolute last resort 
that divorce was such a spiteful, hateful thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never even crossed the person's uh, mind. Even the slightest whispering of it should never even occur to a person. But we were the complete opposite. We, we compromised on the Sharia teachings of how to, when to give a divorce, and we don't make, people don't make use of all of those other steps that Allah subhanahu wa wanted to make use of. Then if you look at the laws of business and contracts and how to treat your employee, how to respect your boss, compromise. If you look at parent-children relationships, people are compromising. If you look at teacher-student relationships, people are compromising. So every time we compromise, we cut corners we give ourselves some slack, right? When we give ourselves some slack in matters of Sharia, then it's extremely easy for Shaitan to bring us deep down into sin. And I feel, again, that, you know, probably most likely almost everyone who would listen to this program would fall in the category at least of either practicing Muslims or Muslims who want to be practicing, who are mostly practicing. This is what is causing us to fall into sin is that we compromise. Mm -hmm. Some people compromise in what they eat. They will be traveling or they will be on an airplane or they will be in a non-Muslim country and they will compromise and they will be a little bit less strict. Mm -hmm. And so this attitude of viewing Deen of Islam as rigid or as strict mm -hmm. or as difficult, if you really think about it, if we were to really be honest and look at every time we compromise, mm -hmm. It would have just been slightly, very slightly more difficult for us mm -hmm. to have done it properly. Mm -hmm. We only got a very temporary slight ease and respite mm -hmm. by compromising. So actually it means that we were really, what we were doing is we were compromising for the sake of our nafs. Mm -hmm. And this, I'm highlighting this tonight because, partly because of something you had asked me, and that is that the Mashaikh, they saw this in people. Mm -hmm. They saw, maybe people understand that why did the Mashaikh insist that you discipline your nafs so intensely? Mm -hmm. And sometimes a person thinks about that person has this delusion about themselves that I'm not a nafsi, I'm not a nafsi person. I'm not a person who is a slave of my nafs. I don't understand why they, Mashaikh, are over, you know, almost obsessed with the nafs. It's because they saw that not every single thing, minor or major, that a person is doing, mm. is doing because of their nafs. Mm. Shaitan also, his muslah say, can only whisper to a person's nafs. Mm. When a person doesn't have that nafs, when a person has nafs from mutmainna, mm. they become immune to the whisperings of shaitan. Mm. So because the mashaykh saw this, and they saw this, who, if you think about, it, especially in, in the early period of the Sohos, that was all within practicing Muslims. All of the people who were students of Mashaikh and Tasawwuf for the first 1200, 13 years of Islam were people who were already on the Faraid and Wajibat and Sunnah. And even those people needed to get treated so intensely for their nafs. So we should just imagine that in this day and age when we are nowhere near as firmly established on the Faraid and Wajibat and Sunnah and we live in an environment that is so much more sin, we should be all the more need the training of that nafs. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, what we've seen is that the Mashaikh, their teachings, act 
actually don't train enough so intensely. Mm-hmm. Actually, this doesn't make sense. We would think that because in today, in 2011, mm-hmm. people's nafs are much, much bigger than they were in 1011. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it should be like the questioner said, that we should be forced to endure hunger mm-hmm. and we should be going through all types of torturous mm-hmm. uh, regimen and exercises mm-hmm. in order to discipline our nafs. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, you find it the complete opposite, mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. uh, the exercises that are given today mm-hmm. To train a person's nerves, to discipline a person's nerves, is much, 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 much uh, softer and much lighter than the things that we read about that were given a thousand years ago. So the question is then why, right? And so the answer, and this is we have to realize, and although there's obviously a certain blessing, a great, tremendous blessing, and having lived earlier in Islamic history and where we had lived closer to the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah but there's also a blessing in disguise, so to speak, in living in the day and age that we live in. Mm-hmm. That is, that we are living in that time in which Sayyidina Rasulullah predicted in Hadith that there will come a time that if a person does amal on even one-tenth of the deen, mm-hmm. that will be sufficient for them. Mm-hmm. Now, by this Hadith, all the commentators on this Hadith have made it clear but here Sayyidina Rasulullah was not talking about faraz and wajibat. Mm-hmm. He was not talking about those things that were obligatory or necessary or required in the deen. Because in those things there is no uh, discretion as far as quantity goes. Mm-hmm. But in terms of nafil, in terms of mm-hmm. extra ibadah, in terms of zikr, in terms of extra fasting, in terms of tahajjud, in terms of all of those things, we can apply the one-tenth rule to today. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a person made 10 minutes of zikr today, that would get them what a thousand years ago a person would have had to have made 100 minutes of zikr. Mm-hmm. If a person reads half a juice of Quran today, a thousand years ago that person would a person would have had to have read five juice mm-hmm. to get the same thing. Mm-hmm. If a person prays 10 minutes of tajjid today, mm-hmm. a thousand years ago a person would have had to have prayed 100 minutes of tajjid to get the same thing. And so we are living, and so Allah Subhanahu has given us that concession that because we are weaker, because we have more of a nafs, so what's required from us then is only 10% of the effort. So that is why whenever we maybe read or listen or hear about the stories of the early Mashaikh of the Sawas or some of their Marines or some of the different mm, hardships and the great tasks of Dhikr and Ibadah that they set out for them, we should just think to ourselves that if only I could do one-tenth of that, if only I could do 10% of that. And, again, we don't do that 10% because we cut corners, because we cut ourselves some slack, right? And it's, you know, I really have felt now, after having, especially in the last year, for the last six to nine months, traveled uh, a bit more than we normally do, uh, I really feel that the Muslim today who wants to be successful, really deeply successful in deen and really deeply successful in sunnah and sharia, and certainly if they want to be really deeply successful in tasawwuf, really the Muslim today has to live a life of a stranger, mm-hmm. has to really live in this world like a stranger. Mm-hmm. All of these things that are going on in the world, the Muslim needs to be completely unaware of them. In terms of what I mean by that is things like media, fashion, society, culture, you know, uh, we should not be living in extremely busy, 
urban populated centers, uh, you know, the more and more the Muslim withdraws from these things, and even if they may not necessarily be able to withdraw from them in body, but the more and more they withdraw from them in spirit and in lifestyle and in outlook and in demeanor, then the stronger that person will be on their iman and their deen. And I have really not really been able to find anybody who is successful in that sense. You will find people who live in major cities and who even function as professionals or engineers or teachers or doctors or, you know, uh, but if you look at their lifestyle, if you look at their evenings, their weekends, their social circle, who they interact with, who they spend time with, even during the daytime, who is it that they, who emails them and who calls them, you will find that they're complete strangers to this world. And they're living, as it were, so to speak, in another world altogether. And really, we, as Muslims, we have to create that other world altogether for us. And whatever extent we try to, you know, merge or assimilate or acculturate with the world around us, uh, it's only going to be harmful to our spirituality, only be harmful to our deen. Doesn't mean we will engage the world around us in terms of dawah, in terms of khidmah, right? But we cannot let that world become a part of us. And a lot of people, again, they cut corners. And I notice this at a lot of places, in particular the way Muslims interact with non-Muslims. And there's no doubt that a Muslim should be respectful, polite, kind, professional with a non-Muslim. I've seen that in the name of being, quote-unquote, kind and respectful and polite and sincere, a person then gets overly friendly and tries to acculturate, tries to assimilate themselves, and even then begins mimicking the same language, begins mimicking the same body language, then again starts mimicking the same fashion, society, culture, and lifestyle. And it's that, it's that which Allah SWT told in the Quran that we shouldn't do. We have to maintain our own persona, our own identity, our own character, our own personality. And we cannot allow ourselves to cut any corners on that. Because when we start cutting corners on that, you end up cutting corners on your spirituality. So our deen and our millah, these are the same things. And you find this not just in the non-Muslim world, but even in Muslim countries. There's, especially in the major cities, there's an increasingly large group of Muslims in those Muslim populated countries who are part of the sort of westernized, secular, a-religious, and sometimes indeed even avowedly atheist and godless, but not necessarily, sometimes just a-religious and a-spiritual elites. Mm -hmm. And those elites also, if you look at them, if even just forget looking at the fact that they don't practice Islam, what you will see is their lifestyle, their language, their demeanor, uh, their persona is exactly like that of a non-Muslim. Mm -hmm. Irrespective of whether they are non-practicing believer or agnostic or atheist, even if one wasn't to look at that, if one was to just look at their personality, at their lifestyle, at the way they think, the way they talk, it's exactly like a non-Muslim. And how did that happen? That didn't happen overnight. That happened by cutting corner after corner after corner after corner. You can almost imagine the chipping away at our very imam until there is no imam that is left. So this, I would say, you know, is another very important type of suburb 
especially for those. And I know, you know, we have a very sort of uh, very wide variety of types of people who listen to this program, but especially those listeners who are living in non-Muslim countries or those listeners who are living and surrounded by extremely westernized and secularized uh, elites in the Muslim countries. Uh, this itself is a type of patience that we need and endurance and fortitude and strength that we need to develop. And it only takes a certain period of time to develop it. And once you make that old once you make your own world around yourself, then you very comfortably live in that world. Uh, and you will genuinely become a stranger to the rest of the worlds around you. You will become impervious. You will become oblivious. You will become unaware, right? Uh, and thereby unaffected by all of the things that are going around a person. So cutting corners in the city, right? And another very big example of that is gender interaction, again, specifically for those people who interact mm -hmm. in universities or hospitals or workplaces or schools, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or even, you know, in some cases, to be brutally honest, in Muslim schools mm -hmm. and in Muslim educational institutions. Mm -hmm. And I have found here in England, mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, and, and I've noticed as well in America and Canada and I, you know, assume something similar would be taking place in South Africa, you know, this increasing lack of uh, proper gender norms and gender etiquettes uh, in our own Muslim institutions and Muslim gatherings. And, you know, one of the most consistent complaints that we get uh, from women is that, you know, and we never really got this before, that increasingly women are very upset uh, about not being in the same room as the men when any type of edu Islamic educational or Dawah activity is taking place. And, uh, and then if you, because my own practice is to refuse uh, video transmission, they're very upset about that. And I, what I don't understand, and I was thinking about it, that, you know, when a woman goes to Makkah, even a man for that matter, we are not able to see the face of the Imam, right? When we go to Makkah Makarama, I mean, hardly 0.01% of the people who pray Salah in Kaaba could be so close that out of their peripheral vision, they could see the face of the Imam. Mm -hmm. In fact, even the people who are so close wouldn't be positioned in such a way so that they, they would be looking at him. So only maybe the five or ten people who are praying immediately behind him could be aware of his physical presence in the sense that they can, in their peripheral vision, see his leg or see his toe, right? 99.99999% of all men, let alone women, in the Haram, in the Kaaba, cannot physically see the Imam. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't affect in any way the power of the Tilawat of that Imam on them. Mm -hmm. And just like that, uh, it's not, so if, it, if the Quran al Karim, in Tilawat of Qur'an, in Salah, whether that is Far Salah or Taraweeh in Ramadan, if the power of that can enter a person's heart without that person having to visually see that person, that visually see the Qur'anic reciter, then because all of the durus and ta'lim and bayan and all of the teachings of Islam are all ultimately based on that same Qur'an, then there's absolutely no need whatsoever to be able to visually see that person. Mm -hmm. And I, I found, I mean, I'm just giving another example of a cutting corner, 
but I found you know a lot of problems have taken place in Muslim educational institutes, uh, and I don't want to take names publicly on the air until and unless I would ever have a chance to meet those people first and try to counsel them privately. Although, you know, many ulama do feel that when somebody is making a mistake publicly, they need to be censored publicly. But I think it is better other to first at least try uh, privately to get them to change their ways. But a lot of the meeting institutes of all stripes, they can be Sufi, they can be Salafi, even, you know, uh, even a few Deobandi uh, scholars who I've seen uh, in England, uh, this whole you know, notion of video and especially, you know, not proper partitioning at events. Uh, and it, it's, it, and they're cutting corners. And the amazing thing is that many of, and especially the ones who are more righteous scholars are cutting the corners because of the insistent demands of the women. And I, I think really that, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm, I regret that I have to take this up, but I really think that the women uh, should understand this and they themselves should realize and, and that there is absolutely no need to cut corners in, in an Islamic event, which is when we are trying actually to maximize our taqwa, we want to conduct our Islamic events in the way that has the most precaution, in which no, not even a single corner is cut, in which the highest level of adab and etiquette is performed. And just like, you know, uh, again, I give that example of recitation of Quran, or Adhan, uh, you know, in the classical system when the Muslim used to climb up the Minar, so no man could see him. He was alone. Mm-hmm. He was alone and invisible to all creation. Mm-hmm. It was just his voice. And look at how Deen of Islam has taught us. Mm-hmm. Adhan is how we make Dawah, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Adhan is voice. Kira mm-hmm. Tilawat is Dawah. Mm-hmm. That is voice. And so Bayan and Wa'az and Dars and Ta'meem and Nasiha mm-hmm. is also just a voice. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do, and there's absolutely no benefit whatsoever. And again, people cut corners because they use the uncle and they say, no, if I'm able to see the person, I can concentrate more. Well, that's ridiculous, because you don't see the muadzin, you don't see the imam, you don't see the qari, and that does not and should not affect your concentration in any way. And so this is just, I mean, I sort of came up with another example, but because many people do listen from different parts of the world, I think it's important uh, that this message is taken to the imams and to the, you know, da'is and to the people who organize different Islamic events. Mm-hmm. And it would be nothing better than if women could take this uh, up and women could raise this voice, because this is a corner that is being cut. And I've seen, you know, people, uh, then, you you know, once you cut a corner, a person becomes very, uh, very lax, mm-hmm. uh, very lax. Uh, about rules of Sharia. And before you know it, you know, once you took one partition down, then a second partition comes down, then there's no partition. I've literally, with one particular organization, I've tracked their history. That in the beginning, they used to have men and women uh, in separate rooms. And they had men and women in the same room with a complete partition. Then they had men and women in the same room with a partition in the middle. But the women could see the partition wasn't going all the way. It stopped a little bit so that the women could visually see the speaker and the speaker could see them, but the speaker wouldn't look at them. Then it continued such and the speaker started looking at them and the speaker started taking their questions by looking at who was raising them. Mm-hmm. Then it progressed to the level that they took out that partition 
between the men and the women, even though they were still sitting on the left and the right. Mm -hmm. And now they have literally reached this stage where men and women are sitting next to one another. Mm -hmm. Complete intermingling of the gender. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if I were to take the name of this institute, you could chart most of this, not the earliest stages, because that's not, but they've even put videos up of their more current stages of development and their latest video in which they're advertising their latest courses clearly shows men, women, men, women, men, women sitting like that. Mm -hmm. So this was cutting corner. And these, you know, some of the ulama who uh, founded these institutes are people who even I can say honestly were a source of inspiration for me in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's when a person cuts corners. Mm -hmm. When you cut corners, and I will say the same thing for the men, you know, when you cut corners on sunnah. Mm -hmm. So first a man cuts a corner on sunnah, they trim their beard, or they don't always cover their hair, mm -hmm. or they don't always wear sunnah dress, right? Mm -hmm. Once they start, then there's no end to it. Mm -hmm. There is no end to it whatsoever. And so again, the Mashaikh saw these things. Mm -hmm. And it's not because the Mashaikh or the souls is some type of, you know, rigid or fanatic or extreme mm -hmm. type of Islam. The Mashaikh saw that istikama, istikama, being mm, steadfast and regular and consistent, right, mm -hmm. and not slacking. They saw that this came only when you totally eliminate all of the bad aspects of the nafs. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Quran, that a person prohibits prevents, refrains their nafs from following their own whims and desires. Mm -hmm. This is why Allah Subhanahu wa talks about nafs al-amara, nafs al-dawama, nafs al-mutmainna. So the whole spirit of Qur'an, mm -hmm. you really, I mean, you know, I would think that one of the reasons people don't understand themselves in this day and age is because we don't understand Qur'an anymore. Mm -hmm. And the more a person has an understanding of Qur'an and understands the type of insan the Qur'an is trying to produce, mm -hmm. that person who understands that we'll see that the Sawaf is the perfect methodology to produce that Qur'anic insan. Mm -hmm. That insan that has istikama, that has sabr, that has sunnah, that is not concerned with the outward, that is not concerned with the physical, is not concerned with appearances, but is concerned instead with their inner realities. Mm -hmm. So here we've run out of time, but we wanted to just mention then tonight that, you know, one aspect of sabr is to not cut corners. And so sabr, I think sometimes we have an overblown concept of sabr, and we think sabr is something we're only going to take out when some huge disaster befalls us. No, that's also, yes, we obviously will need sabr when some major calamity befalls us, but even in the small, little, 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 little test that Allah sponsor sends our way, the constant whisperings of shaitan, the constant temptations of the nafs, the small, little, little things, when we keep compromising on them, when we keep cutting corners, we're actually giving into our nafs and we're lacking sabr. So if we could build up our sabr on the small test that Allah Ta'ala puts in our every day and every night, then that would inshallah Ta'ala give us the ability to have great sabr when the great tests come upon us. May Allah Ta'ala enable each and every one of us to be steadfast on the deen, mm -hmm. to follow the shit and the shirat al mateen we just have a late question here. I'm in a late request here. I, I, I've heard of many a times our Sheikh when he makes dua and then he says he says that Aj, 
اللہ سبحانہ و تعالیٰ سے دنیا مانگنے والے بہت ہے لیکن اللہ سے اللہ مانگنے والے بہت کم ہے دیا مینی پیپل اللہ فار دنیا ان مٹیریل تھنگ بٹ دے آر ویری فیو پیپل ہو آسک فرام اللہ سبحانہ و تعالیٰ اللہ ہم سیلف سو یور شیخ وی ہیو اے ریکویسٹ بائی ون آف دا لسنرس اینڈ دا لسنر سیز ریسپیکٹڈ شیخ آئی ووڈ لائک ویری مچ ٹو گو فار حج بٹ ہیو مینی آبسٹیکلس ان مائی وے I humbly request you to make dua for me so that I may see a fulfillment of my dream. Jazakallah. So inshallah, all Aziz, Sheikh can just give a response to this particular request by one of our listeners and then terminate the program with a dua. Jazakallah. Inshallah, we'll make dua that our listener is able Allah SWT gives him tawfiq and ability and success and grace to go for hajj whenever is best for them and whatever is Allah Allah's wish and may he make that wish of his and may he issue that decree of his soon and may he remove all the obstacles um, everyone who wants to go for their first hajj or who wants to go again for hajj or who wants to go for umrah and may he join all of us in Makkah Makkah and Dina Manawara over and over again And that was Sheikh Kamaluddin across the airways from a different continent and Alhamdulillah he's given us a very very beautiful description uh, you know of how we need to control our nafs by uh, implementing sabr and he also had mentioned that uh, we've got to discipline our nafs very intensely and when a person has this nafs mutma'inna he becomes immune to the whisperings of the shaitan So that's what we've got to try and acquire and inshallah al-aziz the nafsa mutma'inna is what we need to create for ourselves inshallah al-aziz and this will come about by associating with pious people and listening to alhamdulillah programs like tazkiyah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq Jazakallah once again Shaykh Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Shaykh wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh